0: This is Salt to Taste, a podcast about extraordinary food and the people behind it. Brought to you by Panna, the cooking app that gives you step-by-step video recipes from master chefs. In this episode, you'll hear what home means to Vivian Howard. Vivian is the head chef and co-owner of the restaurant Chef and the Farmer in Kinston, North Carolina. She's also the star of the award-winning PBS television series A Chef's Life, as well as the author of the cookbook Deep Run Roots, Stories and Recipes from My Corner of the South. In her cookbook, she writes, Eastern North Carolina is my Tuscany, my Sichuan, my Provence. Here's your host, David Elner, CEO and founder of Pana.
1: So maybe we'll just start with like a like a really tricky question like, who you are, where okay. you're from.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, my name is Vivian Howard, and I'm from Eastern North Carolina. I grew up there, and always wanted to leave there, and I did when I was fourteen, and moved back when I was twenty-six.
1: That must have been a bit of a shock going from New York back home.
2: Well, because it's know, home.
1: But like,
2: yeah, and I, uh, I felt like I had failed, um, you know, because I had always wanted to leave. I felt like I couldn't be successful um, without doing it in a large city, and so moving home um, felt like I had given up on the possibility of being successful. And I, um, I, I didn't want to move home. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who grew up in Chicago, um, who I met in New York, um, was really the one that was more keen on the idea. But we both looked at it as kind of like a launching pad to hopefully set out again and do something elsewhere.
1: And when you were in New York, like, because you're from the South, mm-hmm. does it feel like you're in the North when you're in the North?
2: I mean, I think that the north-south divide is uh, not a real thing anymore. I think...
1: It's not for me.
2: Yeah, I think the divide in our country is more um, Mm rural-urban, and I felt that way for a long time. It's just now been coming to a head, I think. But um, in New York, I just feel like I'm in um, a multicultural, really inspiring, um, but hard to live in place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is hard to live in. You don't hear birds chirping in the nighttime. And...
2: No, and you yeah. don't walk out on the street and see meadows and flowers.
1: No. no, and think of God. and
2: Right. So we opened this farm-to-table restaurant in 2007 called Chef and the Farmer um, in our little town, uh, which is in one of the four poorest congressional districts in the country. So as you might imagine, um, well, our venture was met with a lot of, uh, uh, there were bets on how long it would take us to close. And most of the bets were that it would be less than a year. And we've been open, uh, this June will be 11 years.
1: Now you were telling me this story, which I really loved. Um, and it's one of the recipes that we shot today.
2: Yeah. So, um, as I said, I always wanted to leave home. Um, I grew up on a tobacco farm. Um, and I, when I left, I was, I immediately became ashamed of where I came from. Um, Why is that? I don't know, you know, I went to this boarding school, uh, that was a Moravian all-girls boarding school, and I noticed a big difference between me and, and the other girls. I noticed that they were, in fact, southern, but I was country and my dialect was not the same, my clothes were not the same, my parents were not the same. I Um, see. And so I-
1: Second class.
2: Well, um, maybe like redneck.
1: Okay, well I was trying to be polite.
2: Well, you know, I I wouldn't, I would not consider my parents redneck now, but at the time, um, I just felt different. I felt less than. (laughs) And so, Through that, I associated everything in my upbringing as less than, um, the food included. So um, when I moved to New York and and cooked in other people's restaurants, I I was an an intern at WD-50. I opened Spice Market. I was really um, fascinated and inspired by uh, food that was not of my place. And I even, I worked in a restaurant um, that was, uh, the concept was Southern food via Africa. Um, but I didn't see any of my own Southern food in, in, oh. that, in that cooking. Um, so I became really even more ashamed. So when we moved home to open this restaurant, I was gonna take it upon me to educate uh, the people of Eastern North Carolina on fine food uh, the finer points of service, wine, and I thought that I would be able to change the way that my community ate. Um, that's
1: a, I mean, that's a big idea.
2: Well, I was a kid and yeah. and arrogant. Yeah. Um, I was like the kid with a little bit of city coming home to the country. Yeah. Um, and when I think about it now, it's actually embarrassing, but it's the truth. Um, so. We opened and for about a year uh, we cooked uh, very close to the seasons. We uh, sourced um, about 70 percent of our foodstuffs from about 70 miles around us. And our goal was to help transition Eastern North Carolina, um, which used to be a region full of tobacco farms, into a region of small family farms that grew niche produce or proteins. But I was taking those niche produce and proteins and making, um, mediocre versions of the food that I had cooked here in New York. Um, and then, um, one day, uh, my dad, who is, he never does anything in a small Mediocre, though.
1: Did everyone know it was mediocre?
2: Um, you know, no, I don't think so. They Um, didn't know. You knew. They didn't know. I knew that I had not, um, really touched on what on the food that I should be cooking. I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew how to cook, but I didn't have a voice. Did you know at the time you didn't have the voice? I knew that I didn't want any other chefs to come and eat at my restaurant. OK. <laughs> um, That's knowing. <laughs> because I, I felt like I just had not found my groove. Um, and then my dad, uh, one summer, who is really a character, his name is John. People call him Boss Hog. His nickname for me has always been Big Time. Yeah, So he never does anything in a small way, and he hates to let people down. And he comes to me one day and he said, Vivian, I've got a source for blueberries for you for a dollar a pound. I'm like, that's great, Dad. Um, We'll take about 50 pounds. He's like, I got you 500. (laughs) (laughs) For a small restaurant with a skeleton crew, just taking in and dealing with 500 pounds of perishable fruit is seems like an insurmountable task so dad shows up on saturday afternoon um, around 3 30 as we're scurrying around getting ready for service with the 500 pounds of blueberries Um, and he wants us to all stop what we're doing and unload the blueberries and and put them in the walk-in cooler right away we did unload them but we didn't have any room in the cooler Um, so i finished service that night and i thought well i could put these in the cooler tonight or I'll just wait till tomorrow. And then Sunday came and I didn't go to the restaurant. Monday came, I didn't go to the restaurant. So Tuesday comes and the blueberries have been sitting out at room temperature for nearly three days now and they were past their prime. So the only thing I knew to do um, to not waste them was to make a blueberry vinegar. What do
1: you mean to not waste and make a blueberry vinegar? Like, is that like, that's like tapping into the roots and like, that's what you do.
2: Right, well if you... I
1: mean, if I had all that rotting blueberries, I probably, I don't know what I would do with them, but I wouldn't think, let's make a vinegar.
2: Well, interestingly enough, I had at, I, I had at that time, um, Sandra Katz's The Art of Fermentation and um, Patrick O'Connell's uh, The In A Little Washington Cookbook and oh, so
1: you were in a fermenting groove.
2: Yeah, and I was um, I was interested in fruit vinegars, and um, Patrick O'Connell had talked about making a fruit vinegar, a blueberry vinegar, actually. He didn't explain how to do it, so we went about making this vinegar, and then I thought that.
1: And you made gallons of it.
2: Gallons, 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 gallons. Um, and Funny story. So we decided that uh, the best thing to do would be um, to make like a vinegar based barbecue sauce because I come from Eastern North Carolina um, and we're known for whole hog barbecue that is dressed with vinegar, chilies, um, chili flakes. And sometimes they put a little bit of like ketchup product in the sauce, but generally it's just vinegar, salt, black pepper and red chilies. And that's perfect for like a, a very fatty piece of pork. But um, I also, so we're known for whole hog barbecue with that sauce, but I actually grew up eating um, barbecue chicken cooked with the same sauce. Um, my dad did business with a guy named Tom Heath as a kid. And I think Tom owed my dad some money. And rather than paying him in money every Saturday morning, he would bring us a big, like now I know, restaurant style bowl full of barbecued chicken that he had cooked that that morning. And I woke up literally to the smell of like smoke and vinegar and chose that for breakfast above um, any biscuit possible. So I had a long-term love for uh, barbecued chicken in that way. So I decided to take the blueberry vinegar and barbecued chicken and combine the two. And I think I served it with like a, peach slaw, and um, and those hoe cakes, the pan-fried uh, cornbread, and it was a complete departure for me. I mean, this was alongside, like, goat cheese raviolis with tomato petals, okay? <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I told
1: you. In the South will rise again. <laughs>
2: yeah, so that night, um, the chicken outsold everything by, you know, times 10, and people were uh, just ecstatic over it. The servers were ecstatic. The diners were talking about it because it was familiar, but different. You know, I wasn't directly competing with anyone's memory of Eastern North Carolina style barbecue chicken or whole hog barbecue, but I was touching on something that pulled on their heartstrings. Oh, that's amazing. And so I went home that night and I knew that I had found something and The irony is that I had found my greatest cooking success in a culture that I was so ashamed of. So I felt like I understood my region's food because I grew up eating it, but I knew that there was more. And I knew that I could apply what I knew about cooking um, to the dishes that I grew up eating and make them interesting for a modern audience. And then word started to uh, filter out to the communities around us and people started to drive from Raleigh ever since I've been a student of Eastern North Carolina cooking.
1: I mean, all basically from 500 pounds of rotting blueberries.
2: Yes, yes.
1: You know, how does it feel now?
2: to be living in eastern north carolina
1: does it feel like home are you proud of being home
2: yeah i mean it totally feels like home i built a house across the road from the house that i grew up in mm. so the, there is true power in 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 feeling rooted to a particular place mm. and i have memories with tied to every rolling hill and every every meadow and every stream and to raise my kids there um, is also a really powerful thing. So does it feel like home? Absolutely. Am I glad we moved back? Hell yes.
0: <laughs> Did that whet your appetite? Head over to Panacooking.com or download our app to get Vivian's recipes and more. Up next on Salt to Taste.
1: It really came up as like playing with like barbecue-y type names and then they all just kind of... But it's got like an Asian kind of spelling. Exactly. So it really plays on yakiniku. And yakiniku is the Japanese word for Korean barbecue. Uh
0: This episode was produced and mixed by Misha Youssef with help from Stephanie Rausch.